If you're a fan of classic movies or just like to hear people gabbing about them, then maybe you should listen to the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts brought to you by the producers of Inglorious Trexperts. Uh, this is not Bill Shatner, but if you like the 430 movie, you'll love Inglorious Trexperts, available wherever you listen to the 430 movie. You might even find out what God needs with a starship. It's the podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. everybody, and welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it through or to production. As always, I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Steve? Doing good. How about yourself? Pretty good. And also with us, we're pretty excited to bring on some friends here, Mr. Mark A. Altman and Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Still dancing to Vampiros Lesbos. Yeah. I just want to say I miss my old chair. Yeah, <laughs> do you feel weird? In my chair. Is this like that's where I sit when I'm doing my it's podcast? Like George Costanza, you can't make your I, move. I can't. From the, I can't the make the my move. Side. I'm not making. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing off my game completely. Well, uh, I guess way to tee this up. This year, you guys are celebrating on June 4th, correct? The 20th anniversary of the film you guys made together. How Free could Enterprise. we be 29? Did we make that movie God, when we were nine I'm years old? So Rob? close to death. It's <laughs> two freaking decades. I, I, it's hard to believe, but um, and it's gratifying that you know after twenty years, people still talk about the film and it's still so beloved. And you know, I used to laugh at all these people. You say, "Oh, these people came up to me and said, you know, this movie changed my life." And I'm like, "Yeah, right, whatever." We've literally had that experience at conventions and things where people come up and said, you know, look, I was going down a bad path with like drugs and things and not going to school. And, and I saw this movie and it inspired me. And it's like, it's like, damned if I wasn't like, wow, really? And I was so touched. And it was like, I'm the one who doesn't believe any of that nonsense. <laughs> I wish it changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was really, uh, it was a remarkable experience. Unlike uh, the movie we're about to talk about. I was going to say, imagine <laughs> those same fans are clamoring about the movie we're talking about today, which would have been the sequel, Free Enterprise 2, Wrath of Shatner. No two. No two. Just, Just Free, Free Enterprise, Enterprise, The Wrath, Wrath of, of Shatner. Shatner. Now, I mm. want to say that while Rob has been very outspoken about this movie over the years, I have very consciously not talked about this movie you since have not it fell apart. This is the first time I'm talking publicly about this movie, and it's only because you guys asked. So <laughs> we are honored. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, otherwise I would take it to my grave, <laughs> which is probably not long from now. <laughs> well, let's step back. I think because uh, one thing that'll be interesting about this discussion, differing from the movies we've talked about so far, have by and large, been big studio movies. So often we'll be talking to the screenwriter and they don't really know what went wrong or like who worked on it before or after I them. wish we had been so lucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this was an independent movie. So let's, let's just even go back, ignoring the sequel for the moment, and let's talk about the first movie. It's a cult film. A lot of people know it, but I think also probably a lot of younger listeners maybe don't know it, and this is a chance to familiarize it's themselves. So you were, this is a movie very much about the dread of turning 30, which probably makes us all feel really ancient now. Um, so let's go back. You guys, I assume, 
were approaching 30 in real life, had this on your brain. Well, I was, I'd already turned 30. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was, for me, it was a big deal because when I moved to LA, my my idea was it was going to take me, Nicholas Meyer had said, it takes 10 years, uh, this is the first time I heard it, Nicholas Meyer said, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success in Hollywood. <laughs> and I figured, okay, so my plan, I was on the 10 year plan, and I moved to LA in, in 1988, and I figured, by 1998, yeah. I wanted to have made my first film, sure. and and part of that journey was was meeting Mark. Halfway, almost through that journey, I I was able to meet Mark, and I was already a fan of Mark Altman's because he had written a number of books and he had uh, done these very extensive magazine articles for Cinefantastic, these exhaustively researched articles <laughs> about Star Trek: The Next Generation that were essential reading, you know, and 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 I never thought I would ever meet Mark. You know, I was like this syncophon a syncophonic fan of his, and uh, I got to meet him. I wish I could say that Rob was indulging in hyperbole, but in this case, all that is true because <laughs> I was editing a magazine for um, Larry Flint at the time. Well, it's, but it's not anything you know untoward. Big, it was a sci-fi. Uh, it was called Finger Publishing. A lot of legitimate magazines. I was doing a magazine called Sci-Fi Universe. And we're getting ready for a big Comic Con, uh, and uh, uh, Charlie Band, San Diego, San Diego, and Charlie Band, his uh, uh, company, uh, called me, the head of marketing publicity, and said, "We want to do the screening of this George Decay movie called Oblivion, and uh, you know, uh, would you know, could we co-sponsor it at San Diego?" I said, "It sounds great." Um, it's all very interesting. I said, "Well, you know, listen, Mark. Before we go, there's a guy over here who works at the studio. He's a big fan of yours. He's a big fan. And uh, <laughs> would you just be nice enough to like maybe have a conversation with him or just say hello or something because he's like a big fan. And I'm like, oh God, one of these, right? Yeah, but I'm working at this. I'm working at the studio. I just finished editing my first feature. Well, uh, we were the additional letters called Arcade." You know that Albert Pune had directed, but I I figured I had some legitimacy at this point. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, but not the way she teed him up. Well, let's just say Rob did have legitimacy, no question. But the way she teed, he's a big fan, you know, and you know what that means. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, to take you guys back, you were expecting the Chris Farley like. I was expecting uh, the Sarah Live, William Shatner wrote that. Uh, what's Captain article. Kirk's safe number? Uh, well, the thing the thing for me was that Sci-Fi Universe magazine. The first issue had the Millennium Falcon on the cover. Pretty standard issue. But the second issue had a very deep cut Star Trek The Next Generation cover on it. And it was from the episode Parallels. Yes, yes. And it was Riker in the in the universe where the Borg had With taken the over. Long and, beard and, and yeah, the he had long beard and he was screaming on the cover. And I thought to myself, this is the coolest magazine. The people that No, made no, this you magazine... forgot you, you buried the lead because the cover line was I can't believe it's over. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. And and I just thought the guys who and I didn't realize it was the same guy. That was the ma I, I didn't buy the first issue. I bought the second issue because the cover, and then I realized, oh my God, Mark Altman has his own magazine. <laughs> you know, after being he you know, he worked for Fred Clark at CFQ, but this was his own magazine. He was the editor of it. And I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest magazine ever may ever written. And I was terrific. I gotta meet this. Well, guy. I will say the first issue was more Chris Gore than me, you know, and, and the company had a lot of input you know after you got the first move and it did well then they left you alone so you know it was kind of my magazine after that so you had like that and then later on the infamous uh 50 reasons why return of the jedi sucks cover and <laughs> you know like we we had a lot of fun because this was before the internet so 
we thought we, it was cool to be snarky back then. Like we were the only ones doing it. Everything was pablum, you know, press releases. We were doing the cool, like calling out sacred cows. Now it's not cool because everyone on the internet is a nasty mother, you know, mm-hmm. so it wouldn't be cool now, but then it was cool. But also the ethos of the magazine was, even though it was snarky, it was approached with love. You know, there was there was this unabashed enthusiasm for all of this stuff. I mean, even Cinefantastic had to deal with Fred Clark's like, I was here first and you usurped <laughs> Spielberg and Lucas are usurping my genre. Yeah. Sci-Fi Universe had none of that. It was definitely, I, I wanted to have drinks with all the people that were involved in and the magazine. And eventually you did. And, I've, and I that had was... more than drinks with a few people who worked uh, <laughs> there. <laughs> but that was, that was what was, it was a great time and there was a lot of people that wrote for sci-fi universe that later have gone on to to success in greatness greatness in the entertainment (laughs) business well dan weber who uh you know is a a, a ep on the simpsons and uh you know dana gould who just uh, did a wonderful show for uh, ifc he you know a ton of people you brought jeff bond out to did music star trek did brought jeff bond to west coast i mean it was the kind of people that i wanted to know we're at Sci-Fi Universe. And that's why I wanted to meet Mark. You Altman. just came to get the free copies of Hustler and Barely <laughs> you No, it was Chic. I was in oh, Chic, Chic yeah, and right. Chic that's was right. better. Okay, I, I, I knew there and was Rage a reason. later because Poppy Bright was in it. And so then what? So you guys met? <laughs> Sorry, oh, met, hang out, bonding over nerdy stuff. I mean, I I don't even think you need to go into well, that was uh, the genesis of Free about, because yeah. what we would do, what we would do, <laughs> is we would go. Uh, every couple of months to this laserdisc blowout sale, F- sometimes down in Ken Cranes, which was down in Huntington Beach, and other times the evolution the sale. evolution sale in Agora Hills. So this time it was Agora Hills, and we would get there at like four in the morning because believe me or not, for laserdisc there's this huge line like around the block to get into the laserdisc sale. It's like oh my god! Instead of paying you know one hundred twenty dollars for this Criterion disc, we're never going to watch. We're going to pay fifty, you yeah. know, and it's going to be great. <laughs> And, and we would wait and we'd just BS for hours until they opened the doors. And then we go in there. We come out with like the stacks and stacks of Laserdiscs that we paid, you know, a rent payment, a mortgage payment, you know, for, for these <laughs> things. And, and afterwards, we would go for Mexican food. And have nachos and margaritas and have Is a great time. Is that place still there? Nothing's there. We okay. killed everything. <laughs> yeah. And um, everything we've ever touched has died. <laughs> and um, as we'll say on Free Enterprise. So then we would go to Toys R Us. Hence, everything we touch dies. And um, I remember it was right when Shadows of the Empire hit. And we, our friend Kay Rindell, who's now an EP. Well, we just on, believe it or not, we played beach volleyball. Well, yes. That's a whole other story, but uh, which the basketball scene comes from predated volleyball. But we're, we're, we're at uh, um, Toys R Us, and Kay Rindell, who's now an EP on, on Swamp Thing, said to us, what was it she said? She said, somebody should make a movie. Yeah, she's like, I can't believe you guys are grown men. The, the cliche. You're buying action figures, and you're so enthusiastic about it. You know, like there's no there's no shame in any of this. She, she was shaming. She was action figure shaming us. But she goes, you guys, you guys, this could be a movie because the whole Prince Zizor thing came out of that. Some somebody said Prince Zizor or whatever, and we were giving them Zizor. Z- yeah, and, and so it was like, so that was real. That that all had that was all went down that day. So um, then you know, Kay, Kay said this, and of course, you know, I said. Oh my God, I've never been in an office, I've never been anywhere where someone hasn't said, oh, this is so interesting, it should be a movie. It's like the most indulgent BS thing. Nobody's life is interesting enough to be a movie unless you're like Martin Luther King, you know, or Gandhi. And even that wasn't a very good movie. They all both had to die. Yeah, so so it's like, there's not a really good movie in, in this. But Rob and I had ended up doing this other movie for this fly by night investor. It was called Day of Atonement. It was gonna be the first. 
Well, we, we should back up and say, one of the things about Mark that was interesting is we just started at Sci-Fi Universe doing things, putting yeah, on that's events. That's true, that's true. We were putting on events, a Mark uh, through the Universe Awards, and the second Universe Awards was a red carpet event. It was at the, at the El, El Rey, Rey Theater. At the El Rey Theater. And, and a, lot of people, a lot of people turned out. Because of Sci-Fi Universe, we had a lot of credibility within the genre television producing community and you, you I think you probably met Dean because Independence Day was on the cover that's of right Sci-Fi well, I met him through Stargate because of Stargate but yes that's and right. so we we just thought stuff up and did it so it was it was we were we were actually making things and putting on one events. of the things I'm proudest of and we talked about this on Inglorious Trexperts was we did Sci-Fi Kids Day in Las Vegas thanks to your biological mother yeah and um, that we raised all this money for I have a dream foundation and uh, that was a really wonderful thing that we did in conjunction with Sci-Fi Universe. And all this led to, you know, again, we were doing this this script for this fly-by-night. Well, but, but it's interesting. Before that, I had been editing a movie for this guy, this Darth Dan The Bates. Asphalt Quartet. The Asphalt Quartet that was absolutely <laughs> god-awful. That was the first movie I ever worked on. I was an electrician on it. Oh, my God. What? So yeah. I, I, I worked <laughs> what? on the Asphalt That's Quartet. That's hysterical. And it's six degrees of <laughs> <Yeah>. Steven Scarlatta. That's <laughs> so funny. And I, I cut the yes. trailer for it, and then the investor, this guy, Mort Salkind, they didn't like the movie, and, and he offered me my rate and I, it was more money He's than dead, I ever so paid. it's okay to okay. mention his name yeah I, I i was uh, he paid me my rate and i had two weeks to recut the movie and after after the movie was recut he he said what, what do you want to do kid and at that time sci-fi universe was sold out from under you that's right by that's right. it was just one day because larry flint who all, would think you couldn't trust larry flint <laughs> all of his <laughs> magazines were on the chopping block and wasn't it bought by the sci-fi channel no, it was bought by a company that was doing the official Sci-Fi Channel magazine. Right. So they went off and did that. So at that time, I was able to call Mark and go, I was like, I don't know. I'm not gonna, I've am not i never written a script before. And and Mark was the writer of the bunch. So I called Mark and said, hey, man, there's this guy. And he, he, he said we can do whatever we want. So we pitched him this Fakakta, and Fakakta is the right word, a Jewish horror movie. It was going to be the Jewish exorcist called Day of Atonement. It's too late to be forgiven. And it sounds like a Mel Brooks comedy. That, but the problem is it was real. It was like grounded. This is before David Goyer did his Dybbuk film. Like we were doing like Dybbuk's and Possession. And we did all this research on Jewish mysticism. I remember I went to the Kabbalah Center and then yeah. they would never leave me alone. I was just trying to do research. It was like going to Scientology or something. And it was like, it was crazy. And uh, but we wrote the script and it was really Actually, cool. I wrote about ten pages of it. Mark wrote most of yeah, the script. Yeah, but it, whatever. We it was it was a cool script. With great <laughs> ideas. Leonard Nimoy was going to play the rabbi. The rabbi. The rabbi was going to be Leonard Nimoy. That was our <laughs> and, goal. And we were going to address. I mean, one of the things about the script was it was all about the origins of anti-Semitism and why do people hate the Jews and yeah. but it had a really this interesting has a point by the way it all pays off <laughs> yeah, later it did have a well, point hey, this it, is a movie that never got made that's true so. David well, Tolman never got made and, I, and, never and made. I was working on I was working on the Star Trek experience at this point because I'd been editing and I was pissed off because Rick Berman and I had made this five minute epic original series video that was going to play and and I was bitching to Mark about it. I'm like, they don't care about the original series at Star Trek The Next Generation and then one night I'm in my edit bay and Mark calls me up. Yeah, yeah. Mark called me up after we, we were going to have to turn in Day of Atonement. We didn't want to. Well, I, yeah, right. We we weren't we didn't like the notes. I don't know. We wasn't coming along. So instead of working on the Day of Atonement rewrite, I just as a lark started writing this thing called Trekkers. And I started reading them like the first And it was a scene from my own life, but Mark yeah. put a twist on it. <laughs> yeah, I put a twist on it. And that was the original scene in Free Enterprise where young Rob is fighting this bully 
and uh, you know he's making fun of him on the day Star Trek the Motion Picture opened for wearing a Starfleet costume to school. Which happened to me. Which happened to Rob. That was but Mike then, Elfidol, by the way. He basically, you know, is is beaten down by this bully, Bill Shatner. Captain Kirk shows up and gives him advice. And the kid ends up getting up, you know, dusting himself off, does a flying kick, does all the Shatner Kirk moves, and brings down this bully, and then gives the speech, I won't kill him, you know, the whole thing. To his and, classmates. To his classmates. <laughs> and it's a great scene. It's a great scene in the movie. Rob directed it great. But and- Mark, Mark read this to me, and I'm like, this is great. Like, I don't know where he came up. It was a story I told him, but then he put the spin on it, and I'm like... Why aren't we doing this? Because the idea was to basically, it was. Ba- I was very influenced by Played Against Sam, Woody Allen's Played Against Sam, where Humphrey Bogart shows up and gives all these life lessons to this nebbishy character, um, Fielding Mellish. Field- no, no, it's not Fielding Mellish. Well, the character played by Woody Allen in that film. So this was basically the same idea that Shatner's Captain Kirk would come and give all these great life lessons to these two schmucks. And uh, But what- he was the coolest guy. Shatner was... The coolest guy ever. He was the, yeah. the swinging hep cat, always wearing Hugh Hefner's robe with a martini in his hand. The coolest guy you ever met. And great advice. You know, he mm-hmm. was Bogart. He was our Bogart, right? And so we literally wrote this, this script, and it was like 200 pages. It was ridiculous. I mean, it could have been a miniseries. We like to win the war, what can I say? <laughs> well, now and you could have sold it to Netflix. I, now, right. Now right. it could be an eight-episode series, series, series yeah. on, on Netflix. So it was really long, and it was it was, it was was a pastiche of all this cool stuff we come up with with a bunch of stuff from our real life thrown in, which a lot of that stuff went away. Like, the, the there was, I mean, it went to Jamaica in the original script, which is something that happened, <laughs> which is a really funny story because <laughs> oh, I, I got invited to this junket. This James Bond uh, celebration down in. Uh, by the way, I have a new book coming out on uh, the oral history of James Bond this fall. But uh, so I get invited <laughs> down to this James Bond junket, and I said, "Oh, I got to bring my photographer." And uh, they said, "Well, Rob Burnett, right? We've probably never taken a picture in his life." So um, I said, "Rob, we're going." Have to you Jamaica. seen my Instagram? <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. So at the time, whatever. So we're going down to Jamaica, and uh, so we get to. <laughs> Get to the airport to go to Jamaica, right? I got his two rooms. It was great. So, you know, it's like, so you could bring a girl back. I could bring a girl back, right? <laughs> this It'd be is all, bad. all great. So we get there. They ask for a passport. I give him my passport. Rob's like, oh, you don't need to see my identification. It's like, remember I, before 9 11, right? So I didn't know that you needed a passport to go to Jamaica. I, I didn't know. And at the time, I'd never been to Europe. I didn't have a passport. And it never occurred to me. I was like, I just didn't. I always thought passports were for Europe or Asia. Right. I didn't think. <laughs> I why would they were it, for other people? I was like, you know, isn't Pu- everyone know Puerto Rico's like the United States? You don't need a passport to go there. <laughs> so, I I go <laughs> to Jamaica, um, and Rob stays. Says, I'll be there tomorrow. I'll get my passport. I'll <laughs> see you tomorrow. Sure enough, I'm there for a week. Rob never shows I up. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. But as a, as a result, I, I was finally able to get my passport, which plays into the story. But later. we mined some great stories out of Jamaica, which all, none of it made it into the movie, which is fine because it was horrible. Well, and how but, would you guys, like, what were your discussions on what the movie should be like? Because I think, I mean, you would have an actor from Swingers. If I was quickly pitching this to somebody, I'd be like, it's like Swingers for nerds. Like, that, Well, that was, I mean, that was our, the reason it was called Trekkers was because originally. it was, you know, originally called Trekkers because of Swingers. Yeah. I mean, it was it was heavily influenced by movies, of course. Independent cinema was booming. Soderbergh had released Sex, Lies, and Videotape in 89, and then Kevin Red Smith, Dogs, and swingers. Reservoir Dogs, and, and Swingers, and, and it, it seemed, but nobody had, nobody had attacked the nerd space. I mean, yeah, we had Dante's having the conversation 
conversation about the 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 crew on the Death Star, the Union crew that dies in Clerks, and we're like, yeah, that was kind of it was really, but it was really about us. But we mm-hmm. didn't see on screen characters that were like us. Like right. you know, when you de- de- depicted geek culture, and then it was nerd culture. You know, it was always the Serent Live skit. It was like get a life, right? And we knew, yes, sci-fi fans are dysfunctional, but they're not total losers. They just are very passionate, right? And we never saw that. It was always like, you know, the Big Bang Theory depiction, which is like, oh, you know, they're like Asperger-y and everything. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to show a different version, and that was sort of what we were trying to do with Free Enterprise. And then with a little help from Captain Kirk, everything would go, you know, as we Mm -hmm. we used to say. I mean, you know, when we were doing interviews, I mean, I remember we did this great photo shoot for Wired. It was like Rob and me and Shatner. You know, it's like, it was like... In Wired Magazine, my favorite magazine, of course, they published this picture where my eyes are closed. Yeah, and and I'm like, like off in the the gutter, you know, like, which is in a magazine that's, you know, the fold, like, you know, like, you can, I'm like half of me. It's like, but it was, it was so funny and he thought it was really artistic they thought but um you know it, it was such an amazing adventure because we say you know we got to you know it's a movie about these two guys two sci- sci-fi fans who meet their idol and find out he's more screwed up than they are and i said you know we joke that's what happened in real life we met our idol and found out he was really more screwed up than we are which is a joke because of course we had an amazing experience with bill shatner right. he was nothing but awesome we're, we're you know friendly with him to this day and um, he's just an extraordinary guy, and he was wonderfully supportive of the project from start to finish. Although I do wish he mentioned it more in his autobiography. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> By the way, as an aside, that Wired, that issue of Wired, the cover story was about Jeff Bezos and this new thing called Amazon. Oh yeah, that's oh. right. That's right. He's had a little more success in the movie. I, do, I do um, have one question though, because the movie Free Enterprise is so. It surrounds Shatner. I mean, did you guys ever have a plan B if you well, couldn't that's, get see, Shatner? That's a good question, right? These guys know what they're doing on this show. You should listen to best news he's never made on the Electric Surge Network. We, um, <laughs> not when we were, we just figured, why wouldn't he do it? We had written this movie that's reverential that basically says that William Shatner is the coolest guy in the world. Why wouldn't he do this movie? Right. You figure, we, uh, we were under the impression, we labored under the impression that don't all actors want to be considered the greatest people in the world? Like, why, if we were so reverential, why wouldn't he want to do and the movie? And the production company and the investors came on board. You know, without asking that question, is he attached? <laughs> Everyone just assumes. The same as we did. Bill wow. Shatner's like, going to do it. Why wouldn't he do the movie? He's doing bad he... Jeff Speakman movies at the time, right? I was right? going to say, maybe for people who don't know, like, this was... Looking back, definitely a kind of a lull. He'd done Star Trek. He'd been doing the movies. He'd done right, T.J. Hooker. The movies Hooker. were over. Generations had come out, but he was done. Yeah. You know, he was doing like Jeff Speakman for Roger Corman Rescue or whatever that was. Rescue 911. Was Rescue 911 on or no, was that it was, even it was, it was off. before Boston League. And it was right? way before. It was before he did Pre- the big Price giant line. head on- uh, Pre-Priceline. Oh, yeah, so. because Priceline. I will tell you this story. So we're in the middle of production. We get a call from this company, Priceline. Bill's been telling us about how great this movie is. We hear there's a scene where he does this this whole thing in a club. Uh, can you send us dailies? And, and and we're like, okay. So we send it to Priceline. The first commercial is a total knockoff of Free Enterprise. And like we say, <laughs> oh, no. not only did we not get stock options, we didn't even get free plane tickets. Yeah, it was like, or, or perhaps a directing gig from it. Yeah, <laughs> national commercial. So so that you know, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> but you know, this is a movie that really really changed the perception of Shatner because of course. When we approached Bill, we sent this letter. Um, we, first, you know, we tried to get him through his manager's agent, turned us down. 
we're like, how is this possible? So we write what he later came to call the tear-stained letter, where we talk about how brilliant he was in Saturday Night Live, how brilliant he was in Fridays, Fridays in Airplane 2. Never mentioned Star Trek once. We talk about his great comic abilities and how this movie would showcase that. And it was a really good letter. Did you mention say. Kingdom of the Spiders? We did not. Okay. Although eventually I did interview him for the DVD for <laughs> that. Um, but, um, but I will say, so we sent the, what he calls the tear-stained letter. And it looked like we weren't getting him. In fact, we went to we got to the point where we had the money, we had a start date, but we had no Bill Shatner. So we wrote in a weekend this thing called Solar Quest, which was basically about a Shatner-like character on a show called Solar Quest, long before Galaxy Quest, Quest, where uh, Malcolm mm-hmm. McDowell would have played a Shatner-like character who everyone thought was awesome, but when they met him in real life, he was a real dick. And it was sort of like, okay, this is our backup if we don't get Shatner. And Shatner, one day our assistant comes in and says, uh, guys, I, I have um, Bill Shatner on the phone for us. And we thought it was a joke yep. because all our friends knew how desperate we were, that we had a start date and, and, and that, you know, we, so we thought it was like Darren Doctorman, you know, doing his Shatner impression, right? Well, it turns out it was Shatner. We put him on speakerphone and he goes, guys. He said, uh, he's, uh, you're, you've written a very, very funny movie, but uh, I can't do your movie. This script is funny. And I, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, what, 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 you know, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, he said, I, I'm flattered. I mean, you have me as a god, a guru, and he says, but I'm a fucked up guy, and and we're like, and Why? that's what he said on the phone. He said, I'm really, f- I'm fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And we said, well. We, and we said, well, is it Bill? And he says, so I'm sorry, but thank you. And thank you for, for thinking of me. Maybe we can work together in the future. And we're like, is there anything we could do that we were would desperate at this make point. this more appealing? Yeah, I mean, we're desperate. We we're see trying our to whole keep our phone. Like, we're, we're throwing <laughs> yeah. We have our fishing line out there. Like, what can we come goes, up with? And he goes, no. You know, I, I saw what happened with Kim Bassinger on uh, Boxing Helena or the David Lynch, the Jennifer Lynch picture. It's like, I'm not committed. And, goes, and we're like, he says, but it was very nice talking to you boys. And, and then we're like, oh, but, but it, certainly there must be something. Let us do something. Yeah. Right. And, and he goes, and he goes, well, maybe one thing. And that's when we knew we had him. He said, well, he's, he said, you know, maybe if you could if you could change the script a little bit and make me more like a real guy, like a real person with problems and foibles. Like, if I, I want to be a screwed up guy. And we're like, you know, I got all, I got all kinds of problems. We're like, what kind of problems do you have, Mr. Shatner? Girls. And we're like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And, 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 and then we start, and we start riffing with him, like on the yeah. phone call. Like, we throw an idea, and we're like, oh, Mr. Shatner, that's great. He's, call me Bill. And we're like, Bill this, Bill that. This goes on for 20 minutes, a half hour. Rob and I are just spitballing, tumbling with him. And we're like, oh my God, th- this is great. And we're like, and he says, well, okay, boys, you have your marching orders. Yeah. I said, he said, I'll read the script. I'm not promising He's, I'll do it. Yes. Um, that's what he said. He said, I, but I'll read the I, I, rewrite. And I probably won't, but I'll, I'll, I'll read the rewrite. And we're like, thank you, Bill. He goes, now you can call me Mr. Shatner. And we're like, <laughs> we put it in the script. It was a funny line, right? And so we're like, okay, Mr. Shatner, uh, we're, we're on it. You'll have something next week. I mean, it was literally we were starting. Like, it was the holidays. And, and yeah, it was right because we were starting in January. It was like right before Christmas. And we're like, okay, thank you. And, uh, we totally tore apart the script. We're very, you know, our friend Alan Spencer had a great idea. He said, uh, "Don't think of it as play against Amsterdam in my favorite year, which Peter was a great O'Toole movie, yeah, excellent uh, movie. You know, with Fita Clay, a hero who has Fita Clay, and it was a really great note. It really galvanized our writing. Um, and we went and we made, uh, you know, we rewrote it. We sent it to him, and he said, "I'll do the movie. I'm doing the movie." Which is pretty great because not only did that hook him in doing the movie, I think that is what makes the movie. Because you can imagine a version of it where he's more like Stanley in Mallrats, where he is this godlike sage. Right. But the fact that he doesn't give good advice and needs advice from them. I mean, I think the movie uh, structurally 
was better in its original form. I do too. Uh, it, now it's more of an A-B story because the Rob Claire story never really intersects with the Shatner. So he sort of just sort of drops in and then he's gone. Uh, and then there's all this other stuff, which is entertaining. And, uh, but... Um, but I love, you know, look, I love it. I love the movie. It's, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 you know, I stand by it. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think that both versions have, 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 have merit. Now, the great thing was we went off and did the movie, but then we took him to Cannes to promote it, which was one of the great experiences. And he, he made us fly him over on the Concorde. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So he had, he had a first class, first class <laughs> on the Concorde to go, wow. but it was the first time he'd ever been in Cannes. I never forget. You know, we met him. Uh, we met up with him. He was staying at the Carlton. We were staying at like the Ramada Inn. I don't know where we were, but it was like staying somewhere really nice. And uh, we're walking down the Crescent, and he's about—he's doing all his press. He's supposed to go talk to E, and he just looks over the beach, and he goes, he goes, he looks at us, and he goes, "Boys, topless is good. <laughs> topless is good." And then he keeps walking, and we're just like, "Oh my god!" I mean, and, he did a—he did a presentation at the Planet Hollywood that was in Cannes, well, where I just told that story to my son, and he's nine years old. He was in stitches. So I have to tell you, this is a really, I mean, I just literally told him this story the other day. And he's like, he's like, I'm always telling me stories and he doesn't care about my childhood or whatever. Like he was like, that is really funny. So here's what happened. <laughs> Rob and I go with him. This, there's this whole press opportunity at Planet Hollywood Cannes where he is going to give something he wore in the movie, this bomber jacket to Planet Hollywood. And there's this huge stage, and there's all this assembled press. It's there was canned. a lot of press. A lot there. of press. It's a huge press event. And he has this jacket, and he says he gets up to the mic, he could tap, tap, tap. He goes, "You know, wait." He he told us before he got up on stage. What did he tell us? He goes, "I'm going to tell a story, even you guys." Oh yeah, don't I'm going to tell a story, even you guys don't know. That's absolutely right. So he gets up there, and he goes, "You know, when we were making this movie, there was a scene where I dress up." Uh, you know, sort of a bomber jacket. And I didn't like what the costume designer had come up with. So I walked the streets of Melrose and da -da, and I found this old thrift shop, this old mystery was about to close. And I went in and I found in the back of the store this incredible bomber jacket. And I found out when I bought it that it be be belonged to the great World War I flying ace, Eddie Rickenbacker. And I wore it in the movie. And now I'm returning it to the beaches of France from whence it came. Congratulations. And I'm like, you could not hear a pin drop. Everybody, with spontaneous applause. And he comes off the stage and we're like, oh my God, Bill, that's an incredible story. We had no idea. He goes, I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> and that was what, you know, when people say that he's not a great storyteller, they're, I mean, it was, wow. he had them enthralled. It, it was phenomenal. It was one of the great moments of our life. Followed by... We went to, there was a party for Free Enterprise that night, and uh, Henry Jaglum was filming Festival at Cannes at this party, right? At our, our party. And we walk in with Bill, Bill Shatner, and standing across the party is Maximilian Schell. From the, <laughs> now, Maximilian Schell, of course, they had been together in Judgment in Nuremberg. They hadn't seen each other in 40 years. Yeah. Shatner goes over and says, Maximilian, they hug each other. And Rob and I are like sitting in stunned silence because of course we know what this is. It's Captain Kirk and Dr. Hans Reinhardt of the USS Cygnus. This is incredible. <laughs> and it was because of course Maximilian Schell starred in the black hole. By so the way, that scene- That opened two weeks after Star Trek The Motion Picture. That scene, there's snippets of that actual moment in the movie Festival, Festival of Cannes that as Henry Jaglom oh. directed. Yes, as are we. Yeah. And, 
And it was, I mean, this is what, making this movie, it's our first, you know, our first feature, well, the only feature I've directed, but it was truly a magical, everything about making it was was sort of that magical is true. and crazy. And it was, it was so strange because in our naive, our naivete, uh, we just kept persevering, moving forward. We didn't know what we were doing was not kosher like yeah we're shooting 40 locations in 25 days we'll have a company move every day no problem it's an independent movie Let's 39 go. of which are closed i mean we talked about we were we literally killed cartoonsville beautiful location gone the bicycle club restaurant gone jerry's deli jerry's deli gone you know well, like, i'm happy you didn't kill the iliad because i go there like every other yeah. week well so. the iliad we shot at we it's not killed the it. iliad oh, it's not, no really? no the iliad used to be right next to the odyssey bookstore the Odyssey Iliad video. Odyssey, Iliad oh, pardon me. It was Iliad Bookstore and Odyssey Video. And the Iliad Bookstore now is different from where oh, we shot. Oh, it looks Not very the same We always killed ourselves because it was in the middle of El Nino. And all there was all this electrical stuff out. It, huge, huge storm. And it was like, it was treacherous because it was all this electrical equipment. And it was pouring rain. And I remember Shatner didn't want to go back to his trailer. So it was one of those nights where we just hung out with him. And that was when we were talking to somebody about Angelique Pettyjohn, who was one of the stars of Gamesters of Triscalian. A lot of people don't think that Bill Note remembers much about the original Star Trek. But I remember he came up to us and said, said who's Angelique Pettyjohn? And then he sort of winked and walked off. And it was like very clear that he knew her very, very well. And um... well, even if it, we, look, we were supposed to shoot at this Crown Books that was in um, Encino that had a very long uh, uh, aisles, and it was going to be the night I got a Steadicam because and we had a Steadicam, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was going to be able to shoot yeah. these long this this long chase scene where these two guys chase Shatner up and down the aisles. It was there was it was flooded. And I had taken photographic storyboards because I can't drive. I, I mean, I can't draw. I, I had gone to the, the locations and I had shot storyboards, and that was one of the locations. And it was all planned out. And they told me that day, the day we were going to shoot, yeah. we were shooting at a place at a pool hall at yeah. a bar in Burbank. They're like, you can't shoot at the, the bookstore because it's flooded. And I'm like, what? And I would say to Mark, I said, I love the Iliad bookstore. Can yeah. we shoot there? Yeah, yeah. So they, the producers, Mark being one of them, got us the location same day, wow. which like never happens. Yeah. So we get there, and the stacks that I wanted to shoot in were there, but there was construction. So I couldn't use the Steadicam and go all the way around. And it was Shatner who said, you know, Rob, we can do this as a one -er. So this whole stalking moment, all I could do was pan the camera across these so it could only be on one shoot in one direction. We couldn't shoot in the other direction. And so we blocked this scene mm -hmm. with them stalking him. It turned out to be pretty funny. It was but, really, I mean, you know, it's, it's, Rob's doing himself a disservice because this happened again and again. He would storyboard and prepare and shot list. Um, at, like we had a whole, the whole finale was at the beach in Malibu. We built it, a model. We were going to shoot all the, the shooting was going to happen. We were going to shoot because we want to shoot on Leo Carrillo because we, at Point Doom because that's where they found the end of Planet of the Apes with the Statue of Liberty. So we had to shoot there. And we had references to Planet of the Apes, of course, and a bunch of other stuff. And, and um, well, because El Nino, Malibu, Pacific, Canyon, Pacific Coast Highway was flooded. They closed the beaches for a week and a half. 
So two days before we we're supposed to shoot three days at the beach, it all moved inside a soundstage. He was down at Jerry's Deli in Costa Mesa. But it was the only one that was open 24 hours. Oh, it wasn't open 24 hours. <laughs> so we did, and I was rewriting the entire end of the movie in one night wow. because of this, you know. Well, you guys were shooting during El Nino? Yeah, oh, it was awful. We didn't know. And, and oh look, if you watch the end of the movie, there's these lighting fixtures inside the studio. And I had wanted them to look like there was a Space 1990 epi- 1999 episode called The Guardian of Peary. So these lighting fixtures were supposed to be buried in the sand. So, you know, you, you they'd just come out of the sand, like almost like they were just there. Yeah. Well, so they built them. We, we couldn't, we couldn't. So we just stuck them in the soundstage and they're still there, yeah, but yeah. there's wires all over the place. And we just didn't. Yeah, and I yeah. figured, well, you know, they worked for, Rob worked for a movie company with, with Dan Schweier. So why wouldn't Full props? Yeah, it was full moon. full moon. Yeah, it's Lindley. It was basically it was insanity. Oh, yeah, and 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 uh, it it was insanity. And uh, you know, there's so many examples of that. We were supposed to shoot a golden apple on Melrose when it was much bigger. So at the last second, that didn't happen. We're going to go to Taylor Wyatt's Creature Features, also no longer there. At the last second, that wasn't going to work out because I think he got tired of being jerked around on dates. So we ended up going back to Golden Apple, but shooting in Reseda. Right. And in a much smaller one. Rob, of course, had storyboarded and prepared to shoot in the Melrose location. <laughs> then a Creature Features. Then ends up finding out he's shooting in Reseda. I mean, it was just, it was like this. Drive. Oh, and of course, then there was the casting. Originally, it was supposed to be. Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis. Okay, so <laughs> a, a reteaming from Pump Up the Volume. Right. So Wait, Christian, Christian Slater, Slater is Rob. Christian yeah. Slater is Rob. Okay. Samantha Mathis is Claire. What ends up happening is Christian Slater went to jail because you know, remember he was like so he's out. Then Samantha Mathis doesn't want to do it without Christian Slater. So now we have to completely recast both those roles, and and we still hadn't found Mark. Oh, at the time, I had read the character of Mark in all the read throughs. And everyone was saying to me, oh, you should play Mark. And I was the one saying, that's insane. I'm not an actor. I shouldn't play Mark. But, you know, we weren't, we couldn't find anybody. And I, I was apparently very funny or I was doing a good job, you know, at the readings. And it was, everybody's, no, no, you should definitely play Mark. And, and I'm like, that's, you know, it's self-indulgent and ridiculous and I'm not going to play Mark. But as we got closer, it was like, so thank God Eric McCormick came in. And we just fell in love with him. That was the last time anybody. And said he wasn't on Will and Grace yet. Right? No, no, no. He had just shot the pilot, oh. but he was still so nervous. I remember he came for his callback, and we were in a building. It was like we were on the second floor and looking down the park. I saw him pacing, and I yelled at him. He was so embarrassed because I saw him pacing nervously. I'm like, "Don't worry, Eric. You got this. Just do what you did the last time." And and he was like mortified. And yeah, I think he had a uh, yeah. So he just shot the pilot. Was just about to shoot the pilot. And, um, of course, he was fantastic. But we still didn't have a Rob. And we found Rafer at the last second. And I remember one time one of our other producers found him in Rob's office on the floor. He had found the Star Trek encyclopedia. And he was, like, reading through it, trying to bone up on Star Trek knowledge so that we, you know. What was, what was very funny is that his agency was writers and artists. And a girl that I had dated who was actually Suzanne, one yeah, of the basis, yeah. she was the basis of one of the characters in the script, never thought that he should play me because he didn't look like me very much so she never suggested him she knew we were looking for Rob and she never said he should come in and I'm like what 
Why? It, does, it doesn't have to look like me as an actor. Yeah, I mean, the whole the worst thing we ever did was call these characters Robin Margaret. I mean, people would say, oh, it's your life. And of course, it's not our life. It was inspired initially by our lives. And their characteristics, I, I got to get more water, but uh, their characteristics based on yeah, <laughs> on our, our, on our, our, our lives. Uh, that was a joke, but I'll have it anyway. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I said it's like Seinfeld. It's like, you know, the guy's Jerry Seinfeld, but, you know, you're not... Um, you know, it's not Jerry Seinfeld in the show. It's not Jerry Seinfeld in real life. But yeah, I calling them Rob and Mark sort of, like you know, super bad. Yeah, I mean, it's just I don't know. I, in retrospect, I wish we had never. One of the things had said. I think there's a point where the guy calls him Burnett. That was there a huge is. mistake. But mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Live and learn. It was our first movie. You, 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 you know, look to, ha to have make your first motion picture. You know with the guy you've idolized since you're like in utero, you know, Bill Shatner and have a great experience and, you know, basically be able to do whatever you want, which we pretty much did. And we had a great cast. I mean, you know, Phil Lamar was super fun. Um, Audie Anglin is just a delight. She's such a sweetheart um, and was wonderful in the movie. And, um, you know, and, and then we, we, you know, we cast, the first person we cast was Patrick Van Horn because Patrick Van Horn was in Swingers. The, in Swingers, he was playing a guy who is virtually the same guy <laughs> as Rob's friend Sean Fanning, the late mm -hmm. Sean Fanning. And uh, we like had to get him. He was the first guy we cast. And then we were trying to get Matthew Lillard for Rob, and that didn't work out. But um, it's just like we had so much fun. And a lot of these people have gone on to do other things. Jonathan Slavin's a big character actor. Obviously, Eric McCormick's done well for himself. Rafer's a very successful um, broadcast journalist. Um, and so it's it's um, it's pretty wild, you know. I was gonna say, much like VH1 behind the music, I always kind of followed the same beats for any cult classic. The like we had a great time shooting it is now inevitably followed up by the no one saw it initially yes. part. Yeah. Well, no one did, but you know, here's the thing. You know, we had a small distributor, and they wanted to rush it into theaters um, uh, because they wanted to capitalize on the upcoming big Star Wars movie, The Phantom Menace. The so, movie opened in Century City. One of my favorite pictures was you and I standing in front of the marquee, the giant marquee in a, a theater that doesn't exist anymore, and there was the Phantom Menace and Free Enterprise right next to yeah, each other. Yeah, it's a great marquee. It's like, great. you know, it's us and George Lucas. It marries, you know, two tastes that taste great together, you know? <laughs> uh, well, not, not Phantom Menace, but Star Wars. <laughs> and uh, so that was really exciting. It opened New York and Chicago and L.A. You know, and and it didn't, you know, it didn't do great, you know, and we did a lot of promotion. No one knew it opened. I mean, I was with Shatner over Conan O'Brien and Howard Stern. I wasn't on, but I was with him. Oh, wow. You know, he was in Chicago with Rafer. I mean, there's a ton of press, but the thing is, it was right before the era of uh, social media. Like, we were mm -hmm. right ahead of the curve. Like, a year later, that movie would have been huge. Um, and Will Grace would have been out, right? And Will yeah. Grace would have been out. It would have been a whole... Yeah, but you notice, Rafer has first billing. I remember um, uh, Eric's agent was, like, upset that Eric had second billing. It's like, well, that's your fault, not ours. You should have asked for first, you know. He was nobody at the time, and she didn't even ask for it. And, like, he, yeah, he should have been first billed over Rafer. Certainly in retrospect, we see that now, um, you know, because it's an Ann William Shatner as Bill, you know, which mm -hmm. is which is great. Um, but then, and then there's the whole thing with the ending, with the rapping. I mean, I'll never forget when we were doing, we when we first had Shatner come to meet Rated R, who was the rapper, and his posse, they came to our office because... In the, in the basement, we had a mixing studio and, and a sound studio, and they would, came to record the song. That was a pastiche of stuff we had written and rated, and, and Shatner had ideas. And uh, these guys, when they all came in, they said, hey, 
it's Captain Kirk, you know, and they're all wearing the bling and they're all doing the, the track suits and everything. Hey, it's Captain Kirk, it's Captain Kirk, hey! And, and, and Shatner looks at him and goes, you know, that gets old after a while. And it was like, oh no, this is this yeah. is the evil Captain Kirk from Enemy Within. We're trying. But then he was so, they hit it off. By the time we had finished the recording, he was reading Shakespeare and he was explaining Shakespeare and 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 comparing uh, what happened to Julius Caesar and Martin Luther King, you know, and we remo- and these guys were riveted. We were riveted, right? So as Shatner gets up, he gets in his convertible Jag, he's pulling out the rappers, and these are hardcore street thugs, right? And one, one of them is in jail now. One of them is in jail for murder. And, and, for life. and Shatner <laughs> is pulling out, and they're all like, standing at the doorway, bye, Bill. <laughs> you know, it, it was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, because, I mean... I, I saw the movie by surprise. I used to go to Blockbuster videos with my friend Ted, and we used to buy used VHS. He freshly peeled off a two ninety nine Deep Rising sticker from the VHS and put it on a free Enterprise that was like $20. <laughs> and then we went back to his place, and we watched it. And we were watching, and we were like, wow, this movie is, this is us. And so, you know, and you get that a lot. And so it really stuck out to us. And then the ending with William Shatner doing that whole, the rap, and then... Then I start seeing like all these commercials and everything, and it just kind of seemed like wow. It, it, it at the time we were like kind of like wow. It all seemed like it was from that movie. We never seen them like that before. And I got to point out, we were at the end of an era. The movie was shot on film, you know, it was before digital, and it was one of the last. It was certainly less. I was involved. It was negative cut. Oh no, yeah, I think no, yeah, maybe not. But it was it was one of the last films. We we actually had a negative cutter on that movie. We cut negative. Yep. You know, so. I mean, it was really at the end of an age, and I'm so glad we had the opportunity because, you know, that would never happen. Nobody shoots film anymore, you know, other than Chris Nolan and Spielberg. And certainly, you know, to have a negative cut or cut film, you know, nobody does that except when they're doing a restoration like The Other Side of the Wind. So you sort of be there at the end of an era, you know, of 100 years of movies. That was a really incredible experience you know these orthodox jews that were sitting yeah, was, there larry michelle i the negative cutter i'd worked with on a couple of previous features that i had edited so i had this relationship with them and and it, they were crazy and militant <laughs> larry and larry's son uh that was a lot of fun i mean i i had had this career as a post-production supervisor and editor so i had cut three movies that had cut negative before free enterprise and it was really interesting yeah, I miss those days in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's wall-to-wall music. I mean, like, it was a lot of stuff that, you know, songs that Rob loved. We got, you know, Duran Duran's Planet Earth in there. And there's a bunch of those. Then, you know, we had other stuff for the festival cut. Like, we had Soft Cell and some other really cool stuff. New when Order. the record label came in, they wanted to get some of their bands in, some of which ended up being quite good, mm-hmm. some of which were sort of, like, the Madeline Perot was fantastic. And Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, you know, she, yeah, was, she yeah. sang in a, a there's a, a band called Manufacture out of Canada that, that was hey. on... The um, uh, uh, network label. I was a big fan of both 4AD and Network, the record labels. And Network uh, had put out like Skinny Puppy was a band on Network, and <laughs> so I was a huge fan. <laughs> well, those are the days where you know the Virgin Megastore was on the corner of Sunset and Laurel Canyon, and they would stay open late on Monday so they could put out the stuff that streeted on Tuesday. So like they would stay open from like midnight to 1 a.m. and put out everything that came out Tuesday. So Rob and I would go virtually like every Monday. I call Rob, hey, you want to head over to Virgin Megastore? <laughs> and, and we would meet up at midnight and buy all the crap that was coming out, you know, for the week. And, you know, the laser discs and the CDs. And, you know, it was just like that That whole period, you know, was and that, that was also like I'd never seen Rosemary's Baby. And Rob's like, 
you got to see Rosemary's Baby. It's playing at the Sunset Five at midnight. <laughs> so it played for five weeks. We went every Saturday to see Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> and know. also, I mean, you didn't know what was going to come out on Tuesdays because the internet didn't. They weren't yeah, listing these things. And so you would go, and, and they had an import section and a Laserdisc mm-hmm. section and a VHS section and a book section so you could video go games. easily drop a grand <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. my favorite yeah. my favorite thing about virgin megastore because i started going there when it opened there was just this infamous copy of ghoulies 4 <laughs> on vhs for 80 dollars. oh my god and it never left the shelf of like who's gonna buy Ghoulies? Uh, did you 4? buy it no i never i could no <laughs> I, i'll I was, tell you i, I own it on like a <laughs> eight movie collection we um <laughs> Was we, that Ghoulies Go to College? No. Yeah, th- we it, had it, such it, success it, it, on the <laughs> festival circuit. We thought there's no way this movie isn't a hit because we started at the AFI Film Festival. We won Best Picture, Best Writers from the WGA, won all these awards. I mean, we beat Gods and Monsters for the Audience Award. Wow. You know, I mean, it was like, wow. And then I remember we weren't there to accept because we were already in Atlanta, another film festival. We won that. The then we were somewhere else. When we were in Canada, a bunch of films, I mean, like, we were traveling all over the world. We went to Sigis, you know, and we weren't sure, which is the great horror film festival in Sigis, which we've both been to many times since. And we're like, how is this going to play? But what we learned quickly is that Star Trek fans are the same the world over. And mm-hmm. it was a huge, even with the language difference, it was subtitled in Spanish and Catalan. Um, played, you know, through the roof there. And uh, it was such... Um, I wouldn't trade that year for anything because no. it was like we've made the movie in early '98. We debuted at Sigis in late '98. We were on the festival circuit, October, and then we came out in um, and uh, we came out in June 4th, 1970, uh, 2000, 1999, Space 1999, 1999. So um, a couple months before the moon was blown out of Earth's orbit. Yeah, you remember that day, September 13th. <laughs> it's so sad. Um, so. Um, so yeah, it was really the whole experience of making Free Enterprise was remarkable. And you know, we thought, "Oh, that's the way it's always supposed to be." And one day maybe we'll return to this place again, much like the Genesis Planet. Well, how soon <laughs> when did you finally start talking about a sequel? Well, I, you know, it was we'd always kind of talked about it, and I, you know, I had worked with Shatner on the Star Trek 5 DVD for Paramount. I had done a really long interview with him and recorded his audio commentary, which fell uh, upon some controversy because the Paramount legal department said, Shatner had said about Cybok that, yeah, I, I, I thought of him as Timothy Leary, you know, and uh, expanding your mind. And, and that's what Cybok was all about to me. And, and Paramount had come back and said, you can't say, there's a drug use in Star Trek. And I'm thinking to myself, Mud's women, yeah, you know, symbiosis Star-Trek, from the first yeah. season of TNG. <laughs> there was lots of drugs in Star Trek. And, also, and, isn't... Gene Roddenberry literally in outer space with Timothy Leary. Don't they have like ashes <laughs> together launched yeah, out there? Well, okay. it's but we, you, you and I <laughs> talked about it over the years, and it was Shatner who gave us the kernel of an idea. Yeah, how did that? Well, there were two things. Because I remember he asked you to cut something from him, which was him, Larry Hagman oh. and him uh, paragliding or yeah. parasailing. Shatner, I have this, by the way. Like he sent you a home video? He called me up. <laughs> Shatner called me up one day and said he had this idea for a show. And he wanted me to cut a presentation. A sizzle reel, yeah. A sizzle reel. And, and Larry Hagman, J.R. Ewing, yeah. and him had gone paramotoring. Yeah, paramotoring, yes. Where, right. where you put that? on engines, propellers, you what? wear them With like a, a backpack. And you have a parachute and you run. The parachute catches the wind. And then the motor goes is running. And you kick your legs out and you fly. 
you paramotor with this motor on your back. Yeah, and so it was Larry Hagman and Shatner learning, and Shatner was really good at it. And Larry Hagman kept falling over and breaking the propellers. It was six hundred bucks a propeller, and it was really funny. <laughs> and, and he gave me he gave me this footage. Now he never gave me any direction, and I thought. This is, by the way, part of where Free Enterprise 2 came what from. What year is this, roughly? I want to say this is 2004, okay. three or four. I don't know. I think the paramotoring might have been earlier than that. Maybe earlier. Maybe yeah. earlier. And it yeah. was, but it was, yeah, yeah, you know what? It was early. It had to be 2002 because I was working on Lord of the Rings and I cut this at Curdy Pellerin. Right, right, right. And so I was using the Avids there to cut it. And when I cut this thing, it, it turned out to be like 15 minutes because I was trying to make an episode. Like you would show, and in my mind, I, he didn't tell me, he didn't give me any instruction. And in my mind, I was thinking, this could be like the beginning of a, of a show like William Shatner with other celebrities and going on these crazy things like William Shatner's Extreme Adventures, which yeah. we put in the script. Yeah. And, and when he looked at it, he wanted it shorter. He didn't love what I had done. And I thought because it showed you meet them, they train, and then they do this thing. And Shatner does it, and Larry Hagman watches him fly overhead. Just remember, he didn't shoot it from a bunch. Of, it was like home movies. Yeah. Right? It wasn't like it had been shot to be a presentation reel or anything. No, no. And it was, but it was really funny. And I, I loved it. And I have that tape. <laughs> I loved it. But, but so anyway, Can so you that. you send me a link to uh, that? <laughs> I think, well, oh, and then, you know, around that time, or maybe even sooner, we also did Bill's uh, 70th birthday video, which was right. fantastic. Because we wanted to do something to thank him for doing the movie, and his birthday was coming up. So we went around, Rob and I, and interviewed, like, um, his manager, Leonard Nimoy, um, uh, um, uh, Jonathan Dolgen, the head of Paramount, Ben Stiller, Jason Alexander. But why this is relevant was when we're at Leonard's house, Leonard says, so why are you doing this? Were you hired to do this? Like, no, we made a movie with Bill. And Leonard goes, what movie did you make? <laughs> and now know that we had been told that Leonard had seen the movie at the Century City. We, an usher had told us that, oh, you know, Leonard Nimoy was in here the other day and he saw it and, you know, uh, he was sitting in the back row. It was very, you know, it's like, oh, wow, Leonard bought a ticket to come see it. So we're, seeing what they, so we're like a little thing. And we're like, uh, yeah, it was a movie called Free Enterprise. And Leonard says to us, oh, that's the one where they're in love with Captain Kirk and he's so great and he does everything so well. well what about Spock? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, where was he in your demented bit of cinema? You know, and, and it was sort of like, um, it was, he said, get out of my house. But he was kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and so it was, it was kind of like, wow, that's funny. And, you know, we couldn't tell if he meant it or not. Because Leonard was a serious guy, but he had a really arch sense of humor. And I think that, in a way, inspired Free Enterprise, too, because we thought, what could you do? Now we've done this great movie with Shatner. The only thing that would be better would be to see Shatner and Nimoy together. And part of that was that there had been a movie, a little uh, direct-to-video thing that came out called Mind Melt. It was this, not many people have seen it. Uh, these guys called Creative Light, they made this film. And it was all about the friendship between Shatner and Nimoy. And uh, there's a moment where it's really heartfelt where they're talking about what Star Trek meant to them and what they meant to each other. And I was like, that's what the movie would be. It would be about friendship and it would parallel the friendship of the guys with the friendship between Shatner and Nimoy. And like, that could be a movie because I was always very resistant. I'm like, why are we doing a movie to a movie that made no money? You know, like, who's going to do it? You know what? I have no interest. But slowly, like that sort of galvanized my interest still knowing that this would be a huge uphill slog because, like, who's going to finance a movie to a movie that, yeah, it sounds great. It's a cult classic. It is. But it's like, it didn't make any money for the investors. So, like, what are we, you know, uh, you know what are we going to do? But um, so we always had in the back of our mind. And, uh, 
And then Rob. I, I well, I I don't remember exactly when I was talking. I was talking to Bill, and I said to him at one point, I said, you know, if we ever did do a sequel, you kind of have become the character that we portrayed in the movie because he had Priceline, he was on the practice, he he's had this whole career resurgence, and I had said to him like, what would you see the character of oh, Bill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would he be? Like what would happen with Bill? And I swear to God, he he's, he like looks up and he goes, "I think he would be a rabbi." <laughs> and that was it. That's all I had. Yeah, that's yeah. that's all we had. The, but we leaned we, into that big time. We had the Nimoy experience, and 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 we had played with writing a, a script about this, and we we finally. And you know, I'd met a producer who told us we could get the money or something. I'm I'm like Mark. We really have to be serious now. This is in. 2009. Yeah, but I think what happened was we we you know, we bullshitted a couple of pages, but never really did anything with it. You know, I, I mean, I was never convinced that this was a viable project, and 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 I was. Rob <laughs> and Rob met a guy at Sigis who had done just finished a movie that was somewhat successful, um, and he, I guess, was a fan of the movie. Yeah, and had some money to do another film, apparently. Yep, and and he pursued me. For a number of months, and 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 no, Rob. Because Rob, I remember Rob. They called me drunk from Sidious. Like, I gotta fix my iPhone. He's gonna finance a movie, and and it's like you gotta well, talk. I, to him. I had, like, it was funny because I'd produced this movie called The Hills Run Red, and we were at Sidious. Directed and I was, by our. Speaking of like nerdy little groups, uh, Dave Parker. We're in a uh, industry like bad movie watching group with Dave Parker. Yeah. Oh, so funny. when I refamiliarized myself <laughs> with the movie this week, I was like, hey. Yeah. It's Dave Parker in this yeah. movie. He plays himself. Yeah. 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 Dan Schweiger. Dave and I worked on that. You know, that was another thing that was I was doing through my production company. It was supposed to be a throwaway movie with fever dreams that had made like like Dead Riot, the zombie movie with Tony Todd in the prison or whatever, mm-hmm. Shadow Dead Riot or something. And we were going to do that. It turned into a Warner Brothers movie. So Dave and I were in Sidious. You know, he got to ride in a limo with Herschel Gordon Herschel Gordon Lewis. Oh, was wow. there blood? And it was, yeah, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it, was and it was you know, we went to Bulgarian wow. shot it. So I was in Sidious presenting that movie. And I had met this other producer who knew a free enterprise because he was a Canadian producer. And that's when I called Mark. And it's like, and it was like, and so we'll cut back to the scene already. Hey, Mark, I got the guy who wants to talk to you right now. Why don't you call me when you're like not drunk and out of the party? No, no. Hey, this is the Jeffrey. We got the money to do the movie, and we got to do this. And it's like, okay, sounds great, guys. I'll talk to you later. And um, and then Rob got back. He said, No, I think this guy's for real. And you know, we, he look, had a movie that I liked. He had a movie. He find it was all everything checked out. It was legit. We did a little due diligence on him. You know, most of it seemed to come back, you know, um, you know, and then he started, we started getting stuff from lawyers, you know, making deals and stuff. And, you know, the more we went down the rabbit hole with him, the more legitimate it felt. You know, he was clearly putting some money in the pre, you know. But wait a minute. Before that, we didn't have a full script. No, but we bullshitted like we did. Well, yeah, but then. <laughs> we pitched it all but out. Then- we, I'll never forget, we didn't know, like, we had this idea of the rabbi and what was going to happen, and and what would he do? If Shatner was going to be a rabbi, what would Shatner do in this script? Or maybe if you just pause for a second, maybe just walk out yeah, yeah. briefly, what, what is the premise I, I just want to say, script? before we do that, that, there was no way I was writing a script on spec again. Yeah. You know, well, he was like, already a successful producer, he produced movies was, and TV. There was and... no way. And how I got dragged into this, I <laughs> have no idea. I did, I dragged and into it. And I had the little man it's in the back like of my head telling itself. me that this is, this is there's something off here. But it was Free Enterprise. It was my first love. You know, it was the like movie. I met my wife because of Free Enterprise. It was like I um, 
Um, I, it was a great experience. I love that movie. You know, I spent, you know, doing it with Shaq. So, like, n- the normal caution lights that I experience when dealing with these investors who, you know, are, you know, uh, I, I ignored all the warning signs. Well, then I should have to say, let me let me give you a counterpoint to that. I'm like Fox Mulder. I want to believe. Yeah. <laughs> and and my, my, my whole thing was, why would somebody who couldn't provide what they say they were going to provide go down the road at all because eventually you have to put up or shut up like mm-hmm. i would never if i couldn't do something it was it's beyond my understanding because i'm naive and trusting that if you can't deliver i mean i've been a procrastinator in my life but i know i can always deliver i can always give you what you need and he i just assume like if he said he could do this he'd already produce a movie why couldn't he give us what we had done and so i convinced him mark was convinced to do it but we didn't have a breakthrough. This was Mark had had us his son. His son was, I think, a baby, and I would meet yeah. sometimes Mark for lunch at this Mexican restaurant in Culver City, yeah. and I thought it was just charming and delightful seeing this guy who I thought was never going to get married, much less be a good father. Harry was being this doting father with his son. He was so cute with his son. I mean, he was such a great father. He would bring little baggies with the food and you know make sure that his son was taken care of, and it was just great. And we're sitting there. And we're like, we were racking our brains, like, what would a rabbi do? And we both like put our heads down. And I want to, in my mind, his son was cooing, making noises. And I want to say his son inspired this. And we both he like, did. There was something he the, did. He, he did something. And we both looked up at I'm each other. what it was. And we knew exactly what William Shatner should do in the plot of this movie. If he was going to be a rabbi, what could we build a plot around that William Shatner would do as a rabbi? And we both like looked up at each other, and, we knew. and it was like divine intervention, and we knew exactly what, what this be. was going to be. He and that have. was it, and we were off to the races. And, 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 of course, it was like, at that moment, we had this epiphany. Well, if he's a rabbi, and you know, we have to up the stakes from the original... There's only one thing you do. It's solve the Middle East peace process. You know, <laughs> but he would bring, as he did in the original Star Trek, bring peace to two warring cultures and bring put an end to it. You know, so that well, I was, would say the logical end of what you were saying, inspired by your baby rabbi, is that he was going to do a bris. No, no, he, I, <laughs> he was either wearing a free enterprise. I don't remember, but he was. I don't think he was talking yet. No, I he mean, wasn't he was talking. He was young. young. He was like a, he, was, he wasn't yeah. a year old. I got it. I, I, but I do remember that there was something he did that was like the epiphany for us, and I can't remember what it was. But I will say this: so at that point, we kind of knew what the movie was because we knew this was the thing that. In the movie, Rob and Claire would be getting married, and they want Shatner to conduct the wedding. And Shatner says, "You know, I'm not a real ship's captain." And, <laughs> and, and so he, and so he decides because he just had a horrible experience. He was doing a, a play called Fiddler on the Moon that which, was going to be produced by Mel Brooks. By Mel Brooks, we were and trying directed to get, by Brian Singer, and directed yep. by Brian Singer, right. who's a friend of Rob's from USC, and um, and who's going to play himself? Who's going to play himself? And then. Uh, so the the play closes because it's awful. It was based on you know Shatner's idea, right? Fiddler on the Moon. And so um, Shatner decides he's having a crisis of faith that he's going to become a rabbi to do the wedding, right? He goes off. So now, uh, no, he's not to do the wedding. He's going to become a rabbi because the, so now Rob needs to find Shatner to conduct the wedding because he's going to he's proposed to Claire. Neil Gaiman and him have proposed to Claire. <laughs> Neil Gaiman was going to play himself. Yeah, I mean, he was. We had an amazing cast for this. It would have been a fantastic amazing cast. Amazing imaginary we literally cast. Had, no, no, no. Were because, they all lined up? Or? Well, well, yes. Pretty we much. Had, oh, yeah. We had an amazing cast. So Mark at the time wow. is uh, 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 has completely abandoned the business. Oh, because it starts 
after we see some weird alias type beginning with Shatner somewhere locked up and all these soldiers in Israel, in Israel, well, it turns out it's Israel, but um, they're at the <laughs> uh, Mark and Rob are at the. Uh, I just read the script the for the Sioux first time Falls in seven years last, last night. Film festival, yeah. much like this podcast. So yeah. the whole idea is just super meta. They're watching the movie about their lives. They made this movie with Eric McCormick and Rafer about these two guys about their life, right? And it's to be two actors. Um, well, you, uh, you were going to play yourself. No, no. At one no. point, it was going to be John Heater and Chris Tillia. Oh. Okay. And both were in. Okay. Both were, they were cast. And so Mark is like, this is the worst. There are like six people. They're asking all these stupid fan questions. He is, uh, he's totally sold out. He's with this really hot girl. Who um, writing speeches uh, for a Republican Senate uh, senator? So he's totally sold out. But what he does is he cribs speeches from classic Star Trek episodes. <laughs> so you know, and 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 the great thing is this hot girl Monica, this hot um, uh, like Republican uh, super vixen, was going to be played by Alicia Dushku. She was doing it. She was in. Wow. And um, and then there was going to be the Republican senator was going to be played by David Hedison. He was in from uh, you know Felix. And Leiter we even and, bolstered yeah. his part a bit. And uh, there was a rabbi, Richard Libertini, was going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, we had John Polito as a show producer. Um, you know, again, we killed Brooks all these people. Half too? these people are dead. No, well, John Polito took over his role. I'll tell you a funny story. So somehow I got Mel Brooks's office phone number, and we couldn't get him to return the call or anything like that. And I called Mel Brooks, and he answered his phone. It's like, ah, hello? <laughs> you know, and I, I explained who I was, and he goes, listen. I don't guest star in other people's movies. You know, I'm sorry, kid, but you got a lot of chutzpah. Thanks for calling. <laughs> that moment. was the end of Mel Brooks. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but we got but, John Polito. But yeah, the funny thing is, so when no, Shatner's crossing, now it's a sh- so now it's a, sh- a search for Shatner, and, and and basically Claire shows up at Mark's apartment, convinces Mark to help Rob, who's going on this fool's quest to find Shatner and get him to do the wedding. So they're going to go off. So they start by going to the theater to f- look for clues, and now Shatner has been replaced. Now, in the first draft, it was Leonard Nimoy, uh, and it was going to be a whole thing with Leonard. And Leonard wanted to have nothing to do with Shatner, and uh, they end up convincing him because of Tacone alum, which is like the Jewish heel of the world, that he would help. And L- Leonard, we thought we were going to go through the same process we went through Shatner. He'd say, no, 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 and then finally, yes. Leonard's last correspondence with us was, Please stop asking me. I'm not interested. Leave me alone. <laughs> now, so at that point, we had the same problem we had in the first movie. It's like, um, so we rewrote it for Patrick Stewart, which was great because I, I, there's a point at which they, it was almost even better because they come to him and he's like, I'm not, I don't even like Chatner. I don't want to. He says, look, you're, you're, sir, Patrick Stewart, this is a grail quest. Yeah. You're a knight. You can't refuse us. <laughs> and, you're an Excalibur. And, and, and he says, okay, I have to, you know, I'm obliged to do it. So, um, it ended up actually being a really nice save, and we didn't. We were at the point where we were starting to go negotiate, and it looked like he might do it when the whole thing unraveled. But so they go on this sort of worldwide quest looking for. Yeah, Shatter. and we had written a, a bunch of backstory where it you find out that both Patrick Stewart and William Shatner were intelligence agents in the seventies. That they were, they, and this is true. They they would. I mean, not, not, they not for them they in were. real life, okay. but you, they the CI and co-opt actors and models and people that could get into places that they wouldn't be suspect. That that people would open their doors like, oh, you're Captain Kirk, welcome to Russia. You know, so it was, <laughs> and and there was this backstory that there was this failed mission. So so Patrick Stewart hated Shatner. Because Shatner, he blamed Shatner for the death of this 
woman and and there there we had Malcolm McDowell who's also cast in the movie. He's the, he's the Russian counterpart. He, he's their Russian counterpart, <laughs> Mikhail. And uh, you know now Mikhail runs a, a runs a bar in, in, and in he Siberia. Was cast. And he was cast. And it was very funny when we went and met with him. He was joking that he wanted ten thousand dollars in a paper bag. That's what he wanted to get paid. And we thought he was kidding. <laughs> But okay, so there, there, there is, a, and also the former handler, who is now a nun in a monastery the, that they go Shatner's to. Shatner's handler of the CIA yeah, yeah, is Pam Greer, and she was in. She was in, and it was going to wow. be Pam Greer. Yeah, and, I mean, it was this. We had it. This is the great. This is why I don't like to talk about this movie because it's one of the great what ifs. It's like it, we had this awesome cast, it, you know, and it's like every little role, like David Hedison, like that would have been awesome, and he was so great. Like we had a great conversation with him. He was so excited about it. John Polito, who I love from Miller's Crossing and Crime Story, who came in and he, you know, he was. Hang- I remember this really. You, I don't was... even know if you remember this. He he entertained us for like two hours. Oh, I remember because we were so enraptured with him. Olivia Hussey was waiting in the lobby to read. And she got so pissed off that we made her wait. She left, you know. But we were, you know, we were so like, you know, into like John Polito that we could not like, and and like she was just like pissed off. Like, but it, it, you the don't treat is, Juliet like this. The plot was, I mean, if the first oh, movie was was played again, Sam. I mean, this this had an element of Doctor Strangelove in it. I oh, mean, it's crazy, and it, it was a crazy. But it, but it had a plot that really hung together because ultimately it was it was a Grail quest where they're looking for for this guy and and the the characters were grappling with being middle aged geeks and Rob dealing with the. Well, it's marriage about friendship and, and yeah, it's and, about growing up and it had all this heart even though it sounds really crazy but I mean there's a scene in a strip club I remember it was so funny when originally the scene was with Leonard and like the the stripper his name is Paris yeah. and he goes well you know that was his name in Mission Impossible yeah. <laughs> and it was like and it was like they, they had this whole banter with this funny stripper and I forget who was going to play that we had somebody Sasha Gray Sasha Gray was going to play wow. the stripper Sasha Gray that's right I remember was we ended up having to go to dinner with her to talk to her about the role and she was like oh this sounds great <laughs> and uh yeah, that's right. And, this is and then before, when it became, after the girlfriend then it experience, and, way before, and way then before. we cast John Heater, who's a Mormon. He's like, I don't want to do that scene. And we're like, well, we're not sure if we want John because it was like a really funny scene. It wasn't about the nudity of the stripper. It was more like it was like a really funny scene. It's like, how are we going to change this? And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I got and oh, remember we had that great meeting. We had a great meeting with John Galicki. John Galicki yeah. from uh, at the at, at the. Um, Jonathan Galicki. Jonathan Galicki. Bank Theory. At the, um, at the uh, hotel, Chateau Marmont yeah. for like four hours. Wow. Right? We had this huge... And this is another reason we thought the investor was real because he like must have picked up a $1,000 tab for lunch, for dinner night after night when we were recording all these actors. And um, Jonathan Galicki was like... He, he, it was so fascinating because it was like he was studying me and I kept saying, dude, you're not playing me. Yeah. Okay. And, and he said, okay, Mark. And he's like... And I was like, oh, my God. And it was just went on and on and on. And we're like, oh, my God, he's doing the movie, Big Bang Theory. This is great. Next day, he calls. He, says he changed his mind. He said, I had a great time at dinner. You guys are awesome. This movie's going to be great. And for whatever reason, I think it was because of the geek thing. He didn't want to do something too close to Big Bang Theory. Yeah. So, um, you know, his agents, like, talked him out of it. But it was like every night we had a different dinner at, like, the Chateau Marmot. It was like one night it was Elijah Dushku and one night it was... Th- and it was like we were lining up this killer cast. And and we were also lining up killer locations. I mean, there's a scene oh, set yeah. in Spain where Shatner meets... Her character's name was Rose Bud. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and that was her code name. And we found this like convent in Altadena or oh, something. It was so great. It was awesome, and it had this great 
long, windy drive up, and I wanted to do this shot with a like a crane shot where you see Shatner in like a like an old convertible with he's wearing glasses and he's got a, a, a hat on and a, a scarf blowing behind him as he drives up to this monastery to go because Shatner's also on a quest. He he in order to sue for peace, in order to solve this problem, he needs a nuclear weapon that he's going to get on the black market, the Russian black market, from from Malcolm McDowell. And, of course, Malcolm McDowell sells him a prop from Goldeneye that's not real at all, but Shatter doesn't (laughs) know that. And and it was was really interesting. It it sounds crazy, but the script was really tight. It was really, unlike Free Enterprise, it was very episodic. This was a very, I thought, focused journey. No, and it was written because we knew he had Shatner from the beginning. It was very fo- I mean it culminates with Shatner giving his main speech on top of a tank in the West Bank, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, he thinks he solved everything. That at one point says, you know, oh Captain Kirk is the best captain. And then the the the, 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 the you know the Arabs are going, No, it's Patrick Stewart and they all start fighting again. <laughs> and it was just I mean, it was it's so crazy because we knew we couldn't try and repeat what the first movie was. And you know at the end we said it's gonna be William Shatner versus the World Crime League. And it ends up there's a little World Crime League in there, but we just knew we wanted to sort of honor that idea of like this just crazy, gonzo, wacky kind of thing. And just with this all-star cast, you know, ish. And um, and it was funny because, I mean, we were literally a week and a half away from production. We had a schedule. Um, we had amazing below the line a department. David Snyder, who was the art director on Blade Runner, was the production designer. Whoa. Um, David Irwin, who shot The Fly for Cronenberg. What? And uh, he he uh, he he had shot like uh, uh, movies for the Mark Irwin, Brothers. Mark Irwin. Mark Irwin. Yeah, Mark, yeah he done. He shot David Scream. Irwin, Mark Irwin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was. He. I mean, he was awesome. Oh my god. I mean. I, I mean, yeah. We, we had moving. such a great. I was we, glad the, to see the, the, Dave Parker's character was back, and you actually gave him a name. Oh, and, and, and that was funny because I was going to tell you this story. We talked about this off air, but for Free Enterprise, you mentioned Dave Parker, and we talked about Adam Rifkin in Detroit yeah. Rock City. So we had to go for the first Free Enterprise to see Gene Simmons to get him to sign off on using the kiss jacket for Dave Parker because Dave Parker always wore that kiss jacket at the time. Maybe he still does. And um, now the action we had to get Toys R Us. To, to clear it. So we go to, to Gene Simmons' house, and Shannon Tweed is like making, you know, like. I don't know what she was. It was like, like little, you know, appetizers, like happy homemaker. And uh, we go and we're sitting there, and we go in to meet with with Jeannie. Oh, I just did this um, thing, Detroit Rock City. Da, da, da. And in the middle of the conversation, these two cats, and he go and he goes, "So guys, I understand you want. You're a moron. You're a moron. Do you want to use this thing? And <laughs> you're." In- you're a, you're a jerk. You're a jerk. And then we find out his are name, like moron and jerk. And he, was, like, he kept talking to the to the cats in the middle. So he's like, stop in the middle of a sentence and start saying, you're a moron. And then, and then right back to business. And he ended up signing off on it, which was great. But I mean, it, it, we were in the Kiss memorabilia room. It was, that like, was incredible. It was like this vault of Kiss memorabilia. It was insane. And he's always on this guy. It was it was it was really funny. It was like that was another great thing. I wasn't a huge Kiss fan growing up, but like. I like Runaway. Yeah, <laughs> you know it was like cool Never being, Never to die. you know, yeah. being with Gene Simmons was pretty. It was pretty awesome, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, but I, I thought the Free Enterprise Two script. I thought it was a better script than the original. Oh, it was it, it because was it had it was much more tight and it was much more focused, and it, it you know, it, it had a, a wedding at the end because the Rob character and we had scenes where. Where Shatner was gonna have to parachute down into Las Vegas and ride a horse up Las Vegas oh, so Boulevard. Great. It was because of the traffic. 
He 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 he. There's, it's the and why is all this traffic? Because it's the equestrian thing in town or something big convention. So he gets off a horse trailer, horse, and he gallops down Las Vegas Boulevard to the wedding chapel, which is based on Rob's real wedding when he Rob got married <laughs> in a sci-fi wedding chapel, which is a story for another podcast. And um, and so um, he gets to the wedding and and with Mark. And they're racing through, and they think they've gone in. It's sort of like the graduate with Wings World Two. They go into the wrong thing, and it's a Galactica wedding. And it's uh, Richard Hatch who was going to do the movie, and yeah. he goes, "May the Lords of Cobalt bless you, man." You know, and it was like, <laughs> "What?" And then they they finally get to the right wedding where Patrick is about to do the wedding, and Shatner says, "I'm here," and you know, it's a whole <laughs> thing. It's it's it was so great, so much fun. But a week and a half away from oh, production, oh, it was quicker. It was like it was like two days away. Actually, no. you have a drawdown schedule. Yeah, and the guy, you know, the investor, he kept saying, you know, I have the money. And then it was delayed. And they he kept had spent them. like two hundred grand on post on pre pre Yeah, so which is why we stuck with it as long as we did, um, because he was spending and hemorrhaging money. So it was like, and apparently, what we learned later is he was spending in advance that a company had paid him to make the movie that he hadn't told us anything about, and he was showing us forged made up uh, loan documents and all this stuff. So like Shatner was saying, is this thing really happening? And we would vouch because he had, you know, it's like, yeah, Bill, don't worry. You know, this is, uh, he says, I smell something. And it was like, and, but he had had us so uh, bedazzled and, uh, and it finally got to the point where it was another drop missed. And I'm like, no, nah, this ain't happening. Well, it got to the shit. point where we had to pick up equipment, you know, yeah. and we had to have that money. Oh, and man. I'll tell you, I had to have a phone call with Shatner and we told him we weren't making the movie. That was a tough one. And it was like talking to my dad and saying I've got all Fs on my report card and I wasn't going to college now. And it was just the but he had cleared his calendar, you know, to do oh. this. And and you know, like the crew was coming to me and say, What do you think? I mean, you know, we'll stick with this. But I'm like, I am like, I got I, I, I got I'm walking. I'm put too much time in for no money to do this. And you know, if he ever you know, if it turns out it's real, I'm happy to come back. But I I I said I should have listened to the man in the back of my head originally because I think this guy's full of shit and it well, turns you know, out he was. And even after the m- money went away, I stayed in that office for almost six months. Well, and the I other had, cadets ran. He stayed at his post. I, I yeah. tried because what was what was rough too is this was 2010, so we're still in the wake of what happened in 2008, the subprime yeah. mortgage uh, collapse, and there was a lot of people that just didn't have money to put into to film and it was really difficult so there was a lot of people that wanted to make the movie that we talked to a lot of people but they just the movie was too expensive it wasn't a two million or under movie it was a little bit more than that so it was hard to get that it was not in an easy fight it, it, look it was less than 10 million dollars it was a lot less but you we it was too you couldn't make the movie that we wanted to make for less than two million and you it just didn't fit it. A, you know, niche. It wasn't, you know, romantic comedies were out of vogue and it wasn't strictly a romantic comedy. And it wasn't horror and it wasn't sci fi and it wasn't, it was like everything, you know? And it was like, it's a mad, mad, mad world. And it was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a Star Trek and, you know, it was uh, when Harry met Sally and it was Woody Allen and it was all this stuff. And it was not any one of those. So, at, you know, what it cost, which was between two and three million dollars, it was like, that was not a good bet, you know. And 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 again, you look at you know a lot of people are numbers driven. So you right. look at what the the original did. It's very hard to justify that kind of investment unless you're just this crazy Star Trek fan who sold his company for billions of dollars and you know wants to write you know a check. But the movie really stood on its own. You didn't really need to see Free Enterprise, and that was I think right. a selling point is that it worked unto itself which is why it wasn't called free enterprise 2 by the way ah, which is okay. it was it was the whole idea was that it could stand alone like if you saw the first movie it would be a richer experience but if everything was contextual so if you never saw the first movie 
You know, and that's one of the reasons it starts with like the clip from the original, and then you see them in a half empty theater, you know, and 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 sort of you get the sense, oh, they made this movie and they they're friends with Captain Kirk. Yeah, I mean, Kirk. It was, we had a whole new cast playing the same characters, and the only people that were the same were the people that were in. The conceit was the movie Free Enterprise, the first movie, was the movie the new they characters made. in the yeah. film had made, yeah. and and that I thought was really was really great. It allowed us to get to broaden the names that we had in the film and. And it also was very meta, which spoke to the whole idea. And it, it, it well, we it wanted really bigger actors, you know, who, you know, but certainly the investors wanted that. That was very important that the, you know, there'd be names in it. And uh, it also differentiated from the first film. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it is one, like I said, one of the great what ifs because it's, a, it's super fun. And, you know, now it's the 20th anniversary of the first Free Enterprise. It's sort of cathartic to be talking about the experience of Free Enterprise 2 because it was such a, you know, a disastrous experience. I mean, it's just, I've never had a movie go down like that. And you it know? sounds like when it died, it just died hard. It didn't. You didn't kind of oh, try again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, plus all you have in this oh, business is your reputation. You know, right? Yeah. So I, I pride myself on being very straight with people. And you know, so when you're sitting there saying to people, "Look, no, I still think it's going to happen," and da da da, it was very difficult because you know you're watching the thing unravel, and you wanted to believe, as 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 Rob says. Um, and then, you know, you're in a situation where people you've made a commitment to, you can't honor that commitment. And it was very, very, you know, frustrating as a polite word. Plus, you know, I had a great little role for my daughter who, you know, she'd gone to a costume fitting yeah. and, and she was to play this, you know, character. And it was great because the scene where Sean Fanning goes to Dan's, um, uh, they've had a kid at a birthday party and there's this girl dressed up as a princess who's doing the kid's birthday and he's like hitting on the girl dressed as the princess at this kid's birthday party. It was a very fun throwaway scene and my daughter was going to play this precocious kid at the birthday party and it would have been great and she would have been great and so like that was hard telling her <laughs> guess what this you know this movie that you were casting that you had the wardrobe fitting at the office you know it's not going to happen and you know it's like that sucked. Yeah and, and the, it, everybody was cast everybody had had their costume fittings including Shatner. the one photograph that I have of Shatner he was dressed he does this strip karaoke scene where he yeah. strip karaoke in New York City at scores and he was going to be dressed as Kanye West and he's got back in the day Kanye had this certain signature outfit and we have Shatner dresses that with these big sunglasses and I'm like you look at that picture and go why didn't they get to make this movie yeah why didn't they? Oh, man. Get so that's the long, sad story. Of yeah. it's like, it sounds like that could be made into a movie. Your adventure is trying to make that. It's I look. It's I, crazy. I still. That's I your still lost believe. in La Mancha. Still, he still I, believes. I cling, I cling to hope. Look, lost. Uh, he the the man who killed Don Quixote. Uh, Terry Gilliam got to make that movie. You know, even after and and Lost in La Mancha has, oh, has isn't kept that, me going. Hasn't that been like legally shelved or something horrible? It's still got made. It's <laughs> yeah, still true. got made. It's got made, but it's never getting released. You know, I think I think eventually it will because I I do think that 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 it's still viable. I think the script yeah. is still viable. Shatner's certainly still viable, and and you know I I'd love to do that movie now because I still think it works. You yeah, know, yeah, I'm not, now that Richard Libertini's dead, I'm not interested. <laughs> oh, that's a great. <laughs> I mean, that's a great scene you even had at the end of the script between Patrick Stewart and William Shatner, you know, and it, that's 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 heartbreaking too because you haven't seen him since Generations. No, and, and you know, a, look, it's no secret that Rob and I hate Generations, right? Mm -hmm. So this was an attempt also to redress Generation to like actually have Patrick and um, Shatner on screen together doing something fun and cool and mm -hmm. heartfelt and honor the legacy of Star Trek. You know, we were trying to correct that and. Um, you know, but as we say on Earth, say la vie. Yeah, so the horse we, thing wasn't a throwback to that. 
I mean, yeah, Shatner it really was, but it also is like Shatner loves horses. So oh, like right you, on. Yeah, and the key to keeping making sure Bill's happy is to give him stuff he likes to do. <laughs> oh, One of my favorite stories in, in leading up to the production of Free Enterprise 2 was we had to have a final script meeting with Shatner. So Mark and I, we went to his office yeah. and we were waiting for him. And his assistant comes in and goes, um, can you guys go to the equestrian center? Oh, yeah. And <laughs> so Mark and I leave his office. We go to the equestrian center in Burbank. And we watch him ride three horses to yeah. qualify. Yeah, this yeah. is on a Friday yeah. to qualify for a competition where he's riding dressage, which is a, a yeah technical, dance horse yeah, dancing dressage. <laughs> and we have to watch him ride three horses. And then we go up, and he orders kukuru because he loves kukuru. <laughs> had it brought in, oh, wow. and then we were going over the. We were going over. We thought he was going to have lots of script notes. He had one note. Yeah, yeah. One yeah, little yeah, tiny yeah, yeah. brief note about yeah. the script that he asked us to. Then change. he got a little concerned about the fact that he was solving middle each piece and was a little concerned that you know he didn't want to become a target of anyone. But uh, but eventually you know he was he was happy. He he wanted us to tone down a little bit of the language where he solves it, like his speech about how to solve it, what became more vague. But most of it was all dialogue yeah, from Star Trek episodes. It was all from Taste of Armageddon, yeah, yeah, the first yeah, season yeah. Trek episode. <laughs> yeah, we're we're man is a killer species. But come in, he's not going to kill today. Yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> so uh, but it was really funny. But um, Kukuro, the first time that we had to meet with Bell, this is on Free Enterprise. Kukuru is a chain of uh, yeah. fast food chicken. Are they places still around? The, no, they're long gone. But like everything else, yeah, just, he just killed. But uh, <laughs> but but um, I remember, uh, you know, his assistant said, uh, you know, Shat, you know, Shatner said, oh, you know, Shatner wants to meet you at Kukuru. Now, traditionally, when you meet an actor, it's like the Chateau Marmont. It's you know, uh, Firefly. It's you know, expensive, f- high end restaurants. So I remember when. Um, we met uh, Bill, and he was wearing his white tracksuit. It was like he looked like a marshmallow. And we were like, uh, and a baseball and we're like, hat oh, with Kermit B- the Frog on it. Bill, you know, this is the first time we met him. It's like great to meet you. He goes, yeah, I hope I hope you don't have any problem with Kukuru. We're like, no. He goes, yeah, because you know, I had a lawyer once who said Kukuru was not an acceptable place for a business meeting. He said you're not acceptable to be my lawyer. <laughs> and that story is in the script and he was, for part two, isn't it? I think it. Yeah. I think yeah. it is. I, we mind everything with him because, uh, yeah, and we're like we have no problem with Cougar. It was great. It's like you know, this all gets charged back to the budget. The less it is, yeah. the better it is. <laughs> so um, we were happy to meet him at Cougaroo. I mean, it, I loved it. It was so, and nobody bothered. Nobody came up for his autograph. It was, it was, it was great. And um, but we had so many great experiences with him. We always tell this story about how um, in the in the, in the movie there's a reference to um, uh, Jill Ireland, you know, uh, from This Side Paradise, and at the uh, at the time. You know, he says to us, boys, you know, here's the thing. The actress, uh, she died of cancer, so why don't we refer to her by her character's name instead of by her um, actual name? And uh, there are these encyclopedias, these books, these reference manuals. So if you could go home and, you know, go to the library or look it up and find out um, what her actual name in the Star Trek episode she was in and then change it, and we both go, Leela Colomi? <laughs> and he goes... Right. <laughs> and I think it was at that moment the jig was up where he started to realize, oh, like, these guys are crazy. Yeah. Because and we had those moments because it was a point where we were doing a notes meeting with him. And all of a sudden the assistant comes and says, Ricardo Montalbaum is on the phone. We like look at each other, um, Ricardo Montalbaum, and he goes, "Hello, Ricardo." He did literally, literally like, "Hello, Ricardo," and, and he's like, "Oh," and they're talking. And Rob and I look at each other. And say, oh my God, this is just like in Khan. They talk to each other on the phone, but they never meet. <laughs> we just, we just uh, got such a kick out of that. It, it, it was, was such a joy. Well, that's that's awesome. At least you got you had that. You know, that's that's beautiful. You got we'll to always have Paris. Yeah. We'll always yeah. have Rigel Seven. Yeah. 
Man, uh, that was intense. Yeah, that's a wild <laughs> story, man. I'm like winded from the it. Rise and fall and rise and fall. <laughs> it was wow. Yeah. It's I mean, rough, but I mean, that's what the show's all about, right? Yeah, it's yeah. about Still, these, hard, these 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 movies you talk about. Are really, in most cases, are so personal the people that made them, yeah. some more than others. But you know the dream projects, and you know for us this was you know this was something we're really passionate about. You know whether it's Free Enterprise, which is our first movie, you know that we first he directed, first I wrote and produced. That was you know, and and and. Uh, you know, it was really extraordinary. Free Enterprise 2 would have been this great chance for us to collaborate again, to do something wonderful, mm-hmm. to get it right, to hopefully make a success. And, uh, you know, with this wonderful cast, to work with Bill again, it was not to be. It's a perfect climate, too, because of, compared to when the first film came out to when this was going to come out. Well, exactly. I mean, we had social media. Was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had Twitter jokes in the second. It was one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things in this script was they're in a limo with or a taxi cab with Patrick Stewart and 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 Mark's Patrick's like what are you doing? And Mark's like oh he's doing a real time Twitter accounting of the search for Shatner and Patrick Stewart grabs his phone and throws it out the window. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I mean I, I just I love that. I mean it, 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 that would have played even better today. That yeah, joke. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sorry that happened, but I'm yeah. glad we got to hear the story. Yeah, thanks for having us. Pretty amazing story. Uh, thanks epic. to both you guys for coming on. And where can people find you on social media? Well, I'm at Mark A. Altman. Of course, if uh, you're not sick of Star Trek by now, you can also listen to us weekly on uh, Inglorious Trexperts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And that's at Inglorious Trek or at Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram. And you can find me at Burnett RM on Twitter or RM Burnett on Instagram or find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. Uh, and they can also find you on the 430 movie, indeed, correct? Indeed, I get around. You're saving me some time in my outro <laughs> here. <laughs> yes, also on 430 movie. Yep. Part of uh, the Electric Surge network that we are all on here. We're all one big happy fleet. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, let's see. Uh, Steve and I are also can find us on social media. Yeah. Uh, we can find us at Best Movies Never Made on Instagram and at Never Made Film on Twitter. I'm available at Josh S. Miller on Instagram. I am uh, Stephen Scarlatta on both Twitter and Instagram. It's not and, a lot of Stephen Scarlatta. And if so. you're an investor <laughs> with a spare $5 million, give Rob a call because I don't want to hear anything more about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm perfectly willing to take your call because uh, I still want to make it. Operators are standing by. Yeah. Yeah. It's still be made today. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes. Also, very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and this Mark guy to my left right here. <laughs> um, and so till next time, this is... Steven Scarlatta. And Josh Miller saying, we won't see you at the movies. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.